probably heard the statistic. Nearly half of Americans, 48% who are married or living with their partner, say that they argue with that person about money. Most of those money fights are about spending habits with one person saying the other person spends too much and then the other person saying the other person is too cheap and then comes fights about being dishonest with money and how to pay the bills and forgetting the bills. Yeah, I've, I've been guilty of the forgetting the bills one before. And then there's these conversations about financial priorities. So what's a Catholic to do with those kinds of odds? Hey, Welcome to the Letters to Women podcast. My name is Chloe Langer, and this is a podcast where we sit down and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily lives as Catholic women. What does it mean to live fully alive as Catholic women in today's world? And as for the answer to that question, what's a Catholic to do with those kinds of odds? It's pretty loaded, but I know that part of it comes from witnessing the joy of a couple who has worked through major financial decisions together. And witnessing their joy and their peace and their mission to help others have that same experience when it comes to their finances. So for the second time, only the second time in nearly five years that I have been hosting this podcast, I'm joined today not only by Amanda Texera, but also her husband, Jonathan. And guys, it is such a good conversation. I don't think I have ever laughed this much in one episode. We are talking about everything from whether or not we should actually be tithing 10% to getting on the same page with your spouse about finances and really being able to be free to dream together. So if you know all too well those arguments about finances and you just want to know how to get the financial results you want while also enjoying your life and enjoying your marriage. Sister, this letter, it's for you. Today's episode is sponsored by The Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, the owner, Erica, curates unique and beautiful Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is a delight for subscribers, and it's such a blessing to artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured. Their first quarter box is going to ship to subscribers at the beginning of February, but they also have a limited number of single boxes available for purchase. And listeners of the Letters to Women podcast can get an exclusive bonus every month by visiting the littlecatholicbox.com slash letters. They have something different offered each month for Letters to Women listeners. So head over to the littlecatholicbox.com slash letters to see what this month's bonus is. Okay, let's dive into this conversation with the Texeras. Today, I'm welcoming Jonathan and Amanda Texera to the show. Together, they are the co-founders of WalletWin, a financial success program and podcast that helps everyday Catholics get intentional with money. Back in 2012, they were $24,500 in debt, but in less than eight months, they had paid off all their loans and closed the doors on debt forever. Since kicking debt to the curb, they focused on saving, investing, and giving, and they're now teaching others how to do the same. Jonathan and Amanda, welcome to Letters to Women. It is so good to have you both on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about a brand new book that you've both written together, and we're going to be digging into what it means to live generously, setting up some healthy boundaries of finances and looking at how money impacts relationships, especially marriage. But first, before we get started, could you guys tell me about your story as a Catholic couple? Happily. Oh, yeah, be cute. We will. We actually, so as we were writing the book, 
uh, we did a lot of reflecting back on our how we initially met. So Jonathan and I, we both worked for Focus Fellowship of Catholic University students, and we were friends for several years before we started dating. So we were trying to trace back when was actually the first moment that we met. And when we realized what that moment was, we both laughed out loud. It was so one of those God moments where it's like he's showing you your vocation and your future, but you're completely blind and you cannot see it at all. So we were both at um, new staff training our very first year as missionaries with Focus down in Belmont, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. And we were on our way to our very first fundraising class. And I, in classic Amanda fashion, was completely clammed up, super stressed out, freaking out, really serious, and just kind of like head down, nose to the grindstone, ready to just get this done. And all of a sudden, I hear over my shoulder a song playing. Money, 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 money. <laughs> money. <laughs> and I look back and there's this guy who I haven't met yet. His hair is to his shoulders. <laughs> Past his shoulders. He looks like a surfer guy. He's got a, not a boom box, but a laptop propped up on his shoulder, blasting the OJ's money, money, money song. <laughs> and he's swaying up the sidewalk past me. Doesn't even consider that I'm standing there all stressed out, sweating, and just waltzes right into fundraising class. And I remember having this moment of like, oh, wow, yeah, this guy's never going to make it to campus. He's a joke. <laughs> this guy's a super jokester. So my very first thought about Jonathan, you know, my vocation was about how he's got to be bad with money because he's such a jokester. And forever in the friend category. Right, because he had super long hair. <laughs> and I grew up in Nebraska where people just didn't have hair like that. <laughs> so it was kind of just one of those silly moments where, you know, our future was kind of wrapped up in that one minute encounter, but we didn't see it coming until years later. Years later, I had gotten a haircut. We had, <laughs> uh, we were in, you know, a smaller group of missionaries. And we actually had a one-on-one -on -one conversation and uh he's just whoa hmm, who is this lady and maybe i'll try to run into her a little more often <laughs> and before you know it uh, i'd asked her out on some dates i had uh you know bungled a couple of those things and made a fool out of myself but it all worked out in the end <laughs> and we got married yes so about three or four years into knowing one another mm -hmm. is when we finally got married. I love that. Jonathan, I'm trying to even imagine you with long hair. I'm sitting here looking at your profile picture on our call. I'm like, I just, I can't see it. I can't. You know, there are some really <laughs> priceless YouTube videos out there. <laughs> oh, no. oh, are they public? Because if so, I will totally track this down. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some videos from college. Yeah, he was in a sign language class, and so he had to act out some songs. I didn't act out. It's not <laughs> acting out. I was performing them. Yeah, but your in... your face was very expressive. It's part of the language. <laughs> I know. Let's just say maybe there's one video that's weird out, and there's another video that's actually weird. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> And how fitting, too, that this first kind of encounter, like you said, just perfectly wraps up you guys as a couple and this mission that you have for your marriage, which we get to know really well in this new book that you wrote together, which is called How to Attack Debt, Build Savings, and Change the World Through Generosity, A Catholic Guide to Managing Your Money. And it's published by Our Sunday Visitor. Tell me a little bit about what inspired the book, what people are going to find when they crack open that cover, 
And what was it like to write a book together as husband and wife? So the book was really inspired and born out of uh, the pandemic, frankly. You know, we had always wanted to write a book, but we had all these other projects that were seemingly more important. And then when COVID hit and just so many things got canceled left and right, all of a sudden there was a runway for writing the book. Um, and so it, the priority list kind of shifted and changed as many people experienced. And so for us, the book got moved up and we just decided let's, let's go for it now. And we really wanted the book not to be dry and solely practical, even though we love giving people practical strategies that are tangible and they can use. We really wanted it to be fun and to feel like a journey that was very organic and that people were kind of coming behind the curtain with us and getting to see the, the exact journey that we've been on and why the things that we teach them work and how we know they work. And so there's going to be a lot of stories. I think almost every chapter starts off with mm -hmm. us initially backing into the chapter through our story and lived experience. Um, there's a lot of food analogies. <laughs> I have the spiritual gift of food analogy. Uh, most things in life, when I need to explain them, I use a food analogy. Yes. So budgeting, uh, well, let's talk about bananas law. The amount of bananas you that you eat is in direct relationship to the number of bananas you have. So if you go if you found yourself, right, you never get any brown bananas because you've eaten them all. Oh, I use this one in my cereal. I just ate this one. Here's a banana split. But then when you get more bananas the next time at the store, well, you just end up eating more bananas because they're sitting there right there on the counter waiting for you to eat them. And if you don't make a plan, if you don't set some aside, you're never going to make banana bread. And so it's the same with our money. You have to set some aside because our spending will go up in the same amount as the money we have. So when you get a raise, you're probably going to spend a little bit more money. So it's the same thing. When we look at the bananas, when we look at money, when there's more around, we tend to use more up. Uh, and so you need to have a plan when you walk into it. Whether it's bananas or bucks, you need a budget. This is a gift. I like those three Bs. <laughs> so that was, just a, that was a very small snapshot <laughs> of one of the seemingly thousands of food analogies. I started counting them when I was reviewing the proof and I'd lost count. You know, if that gives you a little snapshot into maybe what it was like for us as husband and wife to write a book together. <laughs> it was, uh, we, had a Journey. we had a lot of fun. <laughs> Telling our story was always very easy to do, but then how do we get into explaining different concepts? And, you know, we would read each other's chapters that the other person wrote and want to redo it all. <laughs> and so at, halfway through writing this, we just had to say, look, you write that chapter the way you write that chapter, and we're going to let the editors decide because we still need to have a marriage at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, when you marry your opposite, you're going to want to say things differently. So when you're going to co-write a book with your opposite, sometimes you just got to let the other person. Parents. Yeah, you got to let the other person run with their chapter as, and you run in your chapter. So there's a lot of cross talk in the book. It's kind of like a, you know, a, a Dave Ramsey meets that meets a Chip and Joanna Gaines book. Yes. Yes. And we'll just say maybe uh, there are a lot of deleted scenes from the book. <laughs> Most of them are written by me. <laughs> <laughs> the editors agreed on that. <laughs> oh, I think it's so fun to read though, because after I've listened to Wallet Win as a podcast and have heard you guys talk about these subjects conversationally on your own podcast. And so it was so fun to read because it captured it. It's so it's you guys, it's your voice. It was so fun to read and know 
what you sound like on the podcast and then see you guys dive into even more in depth than the subjects. It was just so fun. I'm glad you enjoyed. Thank you. So we're going to get into more about what is inside this book and the method that you are taking readers through when it comes to looking at finances. But to kind of set the stage here, can you paint me a picture for what the average American's relationship with money looks like today and how we got here and, and more importantly, what we can do to change it? It's not it's not the prettiest picture. There's a variety. There's a, a spectrum that a lot of people find themselves on. But I'd say in general, the average American or, my, or American family's relationship uh, with money is one born out of the, they're piecing it together as they're going along. Mm-hmm. Uh, mom and dad did not teach them about what to do with money. What's it for? What what good is it? Uh, what can you do with it? What do you need to be careful with? Just didn't happen. And so a lot of us have had to piece together our uh, financial education just on what we could find laying around. And most of that is, of course, credit card offers and commercials, um, you know, debt products, just banks and, and corporations trying to get to part us from our money uh, and, and we're taking our financial education from them. Uh, but the thing is, we can get our financial education, you know, from our Lord, from the church. There's actually been, there's so much about it, depending on where you look um, or, you know, how you count things up. Uh, I think it's like a, a quarter of Jesus's words in the New Testament uh, are about, you know, possessions or money or generosity and like a third of his parables uh, are the same way. There's so much in there, depending again, how you count or which Google result you choose uh, to trust. There's, there's anywhere between like 800 and 2000 verses in the Bible about money, possessions, generosity. Um, and so a lot of folks here, you know, we just don't know it, right? Let alone like right, religion and money. Those are like the two, two of the big things you're not supposed to talk about. And then let's put them together, right? What does God say about money? What does the church teach about money? And what is it for? And how should we use it? Well, yeah, a lot does not get talked about a lot. So we've got to put it together. And we find ourselves in all these tough spots with, you know, debt, you know, up past our uh, up past our eyes. We've got money fights, stresses, you know, size when we come in through the door with, with uh, Target bags and when there's Amazon boxes waiting on the doorstep. And there's just tension and fights and stress and worry and anxiety and doubt and shame about money. And that's the, the, the source of it. That's the root of a lot of these negative things is our messed up, our broken relationship with money because we don't really understand how to handle it. And that floods through, uh, you know, branches out, gets its tentacles around all these other parts of our life, all these other relationships, all these other um, you know, things that we think about ourselves or about others. It's all about money. And so if we get our money thing right, if we can understand how to use money well and correctly, well, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to filter through again, but in a very positive way. Through all of our relationships, our health, all of that gets better because we've eliminated the money stress. We've reduced or just said goodbye to the money fights. And we're not up all night wondering, worrying, when I went to Starbucks, was that my mortgage payment I just spent? I don't know. <laughs> I hope you didn't spend the whole mortgage payment on oh, a Starbucks hey, coffee. It's getting expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty close. I was there yesterday and it came pretty close. <laughs> At least half. <laughs> uh, but it's true how money is when you start 
picking apart the way that you think about money, how much that influences and, and impacts all these other parts of our life. You mentioned so many of them are family of origin, how our parents, you know, when you're in a marriage, how your spouse's parents handled money and talked about money and shame and expectations and all these things. But yeah, I think when we when we get money right, especially in light of Christ and in light of what he says and, and the church, it's incredible how that impacts so many areas of our life. Yeah. And I would add to this that I think that um, Catholics in general have a desire to be good stewards. And so they might, the stats might be a little bit more favorable in a faithful Catholic family. You know, general America, about 80% of people are stuck living paycheck to paycheck. It might be a little bit better, but just because you are a faithful Catholic family living out your vocation, you know, faithfully, it does not make you immune to financial stress. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I want to let people know that if they're experiencing it, it's normal. We run into so many families that feel like they can't talk about it because they feel like they shouldn't have any financial problems mm -hmm. or stressors because a good Catholic family doesn't. But honestly, most Catholic families have this going on as the backdrop of their lives. They're just not talking about it. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely been my experience in talking with friends and family, how it's kind of this taboo subject that mm -hmm. everyone is struggling with. And if we open up, which I think your book does such a good job at, yeah, challenging a lot of beliefs that, uh, that a reader has, the habits they have around money, these emotions that are tied up into money. And I love how when reading through this book, you take a look at finances through the lens of what you guys call the wallet win method. So could you give me a bird's eye view of what the wallet win method is and, and what sets this apart from other approaches to finances? If someone's tuning in, maybe they've tried a, a ton of different reading, reading books and all these resources. And like you're talking about kind of cobbling together this education about money. What sets wallet win apart? The Waldwin method is our approach to money. It's our step-by-step -step method for getting a hold of your finances, making progress towards your goals, and uh, actually making making that progress and coming out the other side better for it. Um, we break it down into four financial phases. And the first is just establish your financial foundation. You need to understand your relationship with money. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, your, your family of origin, just your personality type, your experiences all feed into what you believe money is and what you do with it, how you interact with it. Uh, and, you know, spender, saver, all that stuff, whether you're in the details or not, you know, spender or saver, there's not one that's better than the other. Uh, you just need to know who you are. Maybe move a, a shuffle bit, a step or two into the middle if you're way out on the edge. <laughs> um, but it's not, you know, you just need to know who you are. It's all about understanding who you are. So we help people start, you know, start that process in the book. And then it's just building up those financial habits, you know, living with a budget, planning your spending, uh, getting the right types of insurance, avoiding the bad ones, and then having some emergency savings there in your, your rainy day fund and breaking the paycheck to paycheck cycle. All mm -hmm. these things, when you put them together and you do them step by step in order, really build up the foundation for your finances or building that house of your finances mm -hmm. without this foundation, right? You're building on sand it can very easily be washed away, but this is a rock solid foundation that you build. And that's just the beginning. After that, you start to gain momentum with your money, right? You've, you've laid that foundation. You really get to start going to town. Now you can pay off your debt, really grow that emergency savings, save a down payment for a house. And you're really just like really cooking. Now these are those things when you see them happen, you go, Hey, 
<laughs> we're actually doing something, aren't we? Uh, you know, you, you can celebrate these milestones. These are those big ones that you really, you know, you're going to have some fun when you hit them. After that, you're going into phase three, which is growing your wealth. Uh, this is really when you start building up that savings and, you know, planning ahead. You're being very wise about how you're handling this money. So you're contributing to retirement, you're saving to pay for your kid's college, and you're paying off the house early. Uh, and after that, you can enter into phase four, which is to live financial freedom, where you can turn up the generosity to 11. And that is what sets the wallet win method apart, I think, is because all of it, every step along the way, we encourage folks to be generous. And the whole point of this is to be generous. Because when you are presented with an opportunity to be charitable, to be generous, it's so much easier to say yes if you know your financial situation. If you are unsure, if you don't really know how much money you have available, what do you need for groceries? What do you need to pay the cell phone bill? What's going to be needed for the soccer dues uh, in a month? You, you're all clammed up. You don't know where to go because you want to provide for yourself or your family, of course, and that's what we're called to do first. But if you don't know where you're at there, it's hard to move outside yourself uh, like we are asked to do. And so we want people to be generous because we know, we know that your heart is breaking over something in the world. You look at it and you go, it shouldn't be that way. And God's put that in your heart and is asking you probably to do something about it. And by having your finances in order, it's so much easier for you to say yes. And you can say yes in a much bigger way. So the wallet win method, wallet win in general, the work that we do, we are here to free people up from financial stress and worry and doubt so that they can say yes to generosity and doing God's will in their life. I love how reading through your book, you're not only encouraging people to give generously at the end, this last phase where you get to ramp it up, you're also encouraging people who follow this wallet win method to give generously along the way instead of waiting to the end of building wealth up before giving it away. And I think that when people hear that, a lot of people are going to assume, okay, yeah, yeah, that's the 10% tithe. I get it. I'll set that part aside in my budget. But Jonathan, I, I love this line that you wrote in the book. The practice of giving the first 10% to God is a great idea and it's a good thing to do, but God doesn't want your tithe. When has God ever wanted only 10%? And I think reading that line, some readers might be like, wait, wait, hold on. That's, that's what I know about giving generously. So talk to me a little bit more about what it means to give God all and live generously while also being a good steward of our money. And in the question that comes with that, if, if God doesn't want the 10%, then how much should I be giving then? Of course. Mm -hmm. So yes, God wants everything of us, right? I was giving God 10% of my life back when I hardly believed in the guy and lived totally different uh, on the rest of my life than I did Sunday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. Uh, that was, ten, you know, he wants everything. And so just in the same way, he wants us he wants all of our lives. He, the way we are to be praying without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're 24 seven, you know, we bring our sleeping bag up to church and we're just there <laughs> saying hail Mary's all day long. That's not what that means. Um, but in every, every part of our life, every, every 
action that we take, every relationship that we're in should be different because of that we're different now because of what Christ has done for us. And all of that is wrapped up in every single financial transaction that we make. Every decision we make with money should give glory to God. And we are asked, you know, like with the, you know, the parable of the, of the, the good steward, right? You know, they're given, you know, the amounts of money and the good steward, they come back and they, they give God the gift back with increase. And our God is, the, is a good and loving father. Everything that is good is a gift from him. And as a good steward, we are expected to return it to him with increase, to do well with it, to build up the kingdom. And so, yes, we, we need to do that with every part, part of, of what we do. And we're asked, the church asks us and, and teaches in different documents that we are to, you know, to one, take care of our families, mm-hmm. to live life becomingly. Uh, to take stock of our, our spot in life, our, our state in life, and to take care of those under our charge. And after that, we need to take care of others. Everything has been given to us, right? You, you'll hear some, you know, uh, you'll say, you know, it's, it's God's money and we're just the managers of it. But it's so much deeper than that. It's his. Everything is his. All material goods were then given from God to us, to mankind. And it's our responsibility to tend to them, to manage them well. And to make sure that that original gift to all of humanity is still benefiting all of humanity, right? And and the thing is even quoted in the catechism that says, um, you know, it quotes like an an, an early uh, father of the church when he says, if there is a man starving and you do not feed him, you have killed him. Whoa! I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting chills because I need to, I'm taking stock of my life, you know? Uh, the church uses there, there, there will be a, a, a strict account for all of our actions, including our financial actions. Mm-hmm. And so to get to the, to the question of how much are we supposed to give? Yes, 10% is a pretty good number because it's a good starting spot because we need to give in a way that is noticeable, the way we feel it. So if you are, if you're, maybe you're, you're not making a lot, you got like, a, you know, a truckload of kids or whatever it is. 10% might be impossible. You might not be able to give 10% and be able to take care of your family. Well, then you definitely should not give 10%. But you should give an amount that's noticeable. One that hurts a little bit. You feel it when you give it. If you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're making tons of bucks. You don't have a lot to spend it on. Well, 10%. I didn't even notice it left my account. And that, I mean, that's what we see, um, you know, in the, in the Bible and the, the parable, um, you know, where the, the you know, they, they're dropping big bucks into the collection. And then the, the widow comes up with like her penny and pops it in. And she's the one who gave the most because that she felt that gift. Mm-hmm. So when, if, if you're trying to figure out, oh gosh, it should be, should be before taxes, after taxes, is it net, is it gross, is it, do, I, do I count insurance? Nope. You don't need to worry about it. That is a legalistic view on on giving that's that's all wrapped up in the numbers and the yes and the no and the check in the box we're to have a generous heart when we give we're to give and i suggest that you give in a way that you feel so 10 percent for a lot of folks yeah i mean there's some wisdom in that number it's probably a reason uh you know that was used for so long uh because for most folks you're gonna feel you're gonna feel it at 10 percent uh, but really it comes down to isn't an amount that you're noticing when you're giving it mm-hmm. Amanda, you share about this in the book, but 
I would love to hear about your experience in you guys' marriage and your relationship. When it comes to giving generously, has that been something that's kind of been a source of tension for you guys as you've worked out what that uh, what that pain point is yourself? Oh boy, I know what you're referencing here. <laughs> There's no specific story I'm thinking of that I think fits really well into this. Yes, okay. There is a, a great story from, uh, we were newlyweds. And as I shared before, we both worked for Focus and we were fundraising our 100% of our income. And... Let's just be honest. I was a little bit better of a fundraiser than than Jonathan had been. <laughs> I was maybe a little more responsible, you know, with with finances, but I was more of that saver spender. But with that, um, you know, I was definitely more of that box checker when it came to great. This much came in in my bank account. Here's ten percent. Boom. Like I. I was separated away from my giving. It was kind of just a math equation mm. and then some direct deposits to organizations I supported. My heart was not in it. And it was no clearer that that was evident than this parish talk that Jonathan and I gave when we were married maybe one month. So, you know, after the parish talk, it's not uncommon for people to come up and just hand you wads of cash. This is as we were, we were missionaries for focus. We fundraise our, our income yeah. in that job. So you, you go to, you know, you go to your home parish or wherever and you give a little, you know, two minute spiel to meet with people later, explain right. the mission yep. and ask for some support. Yeah. So you're hoping for some contact cards. You're at the, you're, you're in the narthex at the end of mass waiting but, you know, people will give you their cards and then, you know, they'll slip you a 20, they'll slip you a 100, whatever. They're, they're just being very generous and kind. Typically, I had not ever gotten that much cash. So I think Jonathan's kind of charismatic personality just kind of opened up the, the purse strings that weekend. And I think that there was maybe like $1,000 of cash maybe in our hands at the at the last mass we were heading into. And I thought, great, $1,000 of cash cut $100 out of that, put it in the collection basket. Why would anybody do anything differently? But as the collection basket comes around, Jonathan reaches into his pocket. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been the one who's been able to keep hold the cash since this time. <laughs> this was the end right here. <laughs> he goes in his pocket, he grabs his wad. And I think he's just going to, you know, make change, right? And throw in something. <laughs> He takes the wad, the whole wad, the entirety of the wad. And, you know, we're newlyweds. We don't have a lot. He takes it and just throws the whole thing in the basket and just passes it on. <laughs> and I remember just staring at him like my eyes kind of bugged <laughs> out of my face. <laughs> and I didn't say anything because we're in the middle of math. <laughs> but I didn't have to say anything for him to understand exactly <laughs> what I meant. But then we got to have a conversation on the drive home. And really what it did is it brought to the surface that I was kind of transactional in my giving and I wasn't trusting, hmm. you know, that God would ultimately take care of us. And that even if we were maybe imprudent, that he couldn't somehow make it back and provide everything that we needed. And he did. Hmm. He did. And he showed me through that experience that Jonathan's complete radical openness and trust God came in and he filled in the gaps and he filled in the cracks and he provided everything that we needed. And truly, we just can't outdo God in generosity. 
That's so good. I love that. I was just, when I was reading that story, I was just imagining your facial expression. Like, I'm sure there was not oh, any guessing <laughs> what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good story though. Cause it just, yeah, that's, that's it. It's so that radical generosity is such a hard gut punch when it comes mm-hmm. to like actually giving. But I love, I love how that story, how in that story, it really stirred up good conversation for you guys to to work on getting on the same page as a couple. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of meeting in the middle of the two different different ways to approach radical generosity for sure. Yeah, because I mean, I had to understand I wasn't a single guy anymore. I couldn't be so, I mean, you call it radical generosity. It was a little reckless. <laughs> uh, because right, I was, I was yeah, still living, this was still the financial uh, uh, habits uh, that, that, was get, that were, got me into debt of the just true, hey this true. is happening all right let's go for it it's um, so like you so, weren't actually taking state of your reality that god had now changed you were now married you had obligations yeah, i wasn't you know yeah. yeah so we we both kind of needed to come to the middle there we mm-hmm. were both on the extremes <laughs> <laughs> okay so the way the way we approach money can kind of live on these extremes but when it comes to like the actual money money is is like Switzerland. It's totally mm-hmm. neutral. It's it's inherently neither good nor bad. However, um, like we're talking about here, just because something's morally neutral doesn't mean that it can't be misused. So for listeners who, let's say they are successful with their finances mm-hmm. and growing their wealth, what are some boundaries that you would recommend that they set up around money so that they can be wealthy, but without losing their soul? Mm, this is such a good question. And This was one of our favorite chapters actually to write in the book um, was talking about this because, yeah, if people follow the method that we lay out, there's a very real chance for most folks that they're going to come to a point in their life where they have a whole heck of a lot more money than they might ever be able to use. And so how do we avoid some of those pitfalls that come with finances? You know, just because money is neutral does not mean there aren't tons of, you know, roadblocks or obstacles or challenges that can come with it. I mean, St. Ignatius, even in in the examine, he talks about how money, it's it's the number one way that the enemy will try to get into your life, weasel in there, you know, the lure of riches and and wealth and wanting somebody to go after that. Uh, Because once you crack open the door and have money, a lot of times then things like pride um, can come after that and, and power and those things can, you know, further lead somebody down away from our Lord. So it's, it's something that is truly neutral. It really is. You can do very, you can do good things. You can do great things, but it's something that if we don't put proper boundaries around it, it could wreck us. And I don't want to get wrecked. I don't want to lead anybody else to wreckage. Mm -hmm. I don't want to wreck our kids. So we've done a lot of thinking about what are some ways we can actually build up healthy boundaries with finances in our life. And so I think one of the ways is just telling ourselves, familiarizing ourselves with the stories of the saints. There were numbers of saints who've had different relationships with money. You know, it's common to think up the example of most of the saints being called to leave all their money. And just kind of, you know, go become a religious, right? That's the example of that is holiness, right? But that's that's not true. We have a number of saints who were 
uh, kings or queens, and they were entrusted with great amounts of wealth, but they still achieve sanctity in their life. Or we have Zellie and Louis Martin, who were business owners, and they were very successful in their businesses, and they themselves are saints, and they have raised a saint, probably more than one. We just don't know about where you know their other daughters telling ourselves the stories of the saints and studying how they interacted with money in their lifetime, I think can be really inspirational and helpful for us. So in Wallet Win, our patron patroness is St. Catherine Drexel. And um, she, her, her family, her father was actually business partners with JP Morgan, right? Chase Bank. So that was the inheritance that came her way, which was quite an inheritance. Uh, but off of the money that she would earn every year, she ended up renouncing it, the inheritance, and just receiving a little bit every year. Not a little bit, a whole lot. So she had her inheritance. It was split between her and her two other sisters. So she got a third of the income generated from, uh, from the businesses. And she put all of that money to use. Instead of just saying, no, I don't want it. I'm going to go beg. She put that money to use and, fund, and founded a, a religious order, a group of sisters who were dedicated to the education of some of the most marginalized folks in America at that time, um, African-Americans and American Indians, and set up special schools uh, for those folks because they were getting shut out of all you know, the, the other schools that were uh, you know, up and around them in those days. And she wanted to, of course, you know, teach them and serve them and, and share the gospel with them. And her community of sisters that she founded staffed all those schools. And she, you know, she, I mean, she, she founded um, Xavier University, which is the only Catholic uh, historically black college or university. And uh, just poured herself into the work of making the lives of other folks, especially those whom so many of her other countrymen were looking down on. And none of it was would be possible, um, you know. It was made possible, I guess, because of the great wealth um, that was left to her. Her knowing how to use it, having a the a knowledge or a right place in her heart, knowing where to use it, where to go with it, and of course the the amazing and faithful example of her parents mm -hmm. who raised her to know how to handle money and how to use it for the good of others. They had a, a bunch of money. But they also shared so much of it. When, when her folks uh, died, they discovered they were paying the rent for, I think it was like hundreds of people oh. in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring up St. Catherine Drexel's story is because at some point in the 1900s, the U.S. government came up with a, the income tax. Catherine was doing all this work, and um, it was taking a big bite because all this inheritance, the income off of the, the, the companies. And so it was taking a big bite out of the money she had available to do this amazing work. So Congress passed a law that said, if you have donated 90% or more of your income over the last 10 years, you don't have to pay income tax. And everybody knew the only person it was ever going to apply to was Catherine Drexel. <laughs> oh, wow. So she literally had a law changed to support her missionary endeavors and her work which was uh, just such a beautiful example. And when I think of that, most of us are never going to have the amount of wealth where we could give away 90% of our income and actually still take care of our families. But some of us, as time goes on, our incomes raise, our expenses decrease. As Jonathan mentioned earlier, giving more, you know, taking kind of a staircase step to giving throughout your life 
might be a way to keep money really healthy. So maybe you're giving 10% for most of those income earning years, but as that income goes up and your expenses go down, maybe you start giving 20%. Maybe you start giving 30%. Heck, if you're really, really making a larger income, maybe you'll get to St. Catherine Drexel, but what an honor and a privilege that would be to manage money so heroically that you could take care of your family and how many ministries could you support and further in the new evangelization if you were able to give at that level? But I think that that staircased increased giving approach is a really healthy one to have. In addition to just reviewing your conscience, um, we have a financial examination of conscience and anybody who gets the book, there's a link to go find that where they can download that and just ask yourself questions about your relationship with money. It can be really tricky and really hard. You know, even Jonathan and I, after years of working on, on this and always kind of being attuned to what our motives are, we'll still have days where, you know, we're feeling low or we're feeling sad. And the temptation is just, I just want to go buy stuff to mm -hmm. feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, that's not what I want to be acting out of. And so I, my, the examination of conscience can help me call that out before I start using money in an unhealthy way. And then another thing to do would just be to continue to cultivate the virtues in your life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, building a life of virtue. This can be tricky, but it's so helpful when it comes to money because the virtues are just, they're powerful. And specifically, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And uh, right, the, a virtue is right, that firm disposition to do the good. And that's good in all things. That's good in how we relate to one another, good in how we uh, work to bring about the kingdom in this world, and good in our finances. Having those fine, you know, having our finances, whether it's whether you've got fifty thousand dollars or five hundred million dollars, there's always going to be a temptation for more. There's always going to be a temptation to see that you have more than somebody else, and how good does that make me feel? Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a temptation to run to the arms of wealth, the arms of money uh, when, you're, uh, when you are down, when you need help, instead of into the arms of our Lord. And that's no good for anybody at any income level. So learning how to handle your finances, how to interact with it, how to have a healthy relationship there, and to work with it, to do well, to handle it well for your family, and to do good in the world with it is vitally important for us and for so many of our brothers and sisters whom we, um, we, it is our responsibility to help. We've been entrusted with so many gifts and it is our chance uh, to do what, you know, what is right with them when they're in our hands. You guys' book, you covered this topic and so many others in an absolutely excellent way. I love how it's, it's so rooted in, in what the church teaches and what Christ teaches. So for listeners who are listening and they want to dive in deeper, where can they pick up a copy of your new book, which is How to Attack Debt, Build Savings, and Change the World Through Generosity, Catholic Guide to Managing Your Money? And then tell me about what are some of the reasons they should pre-order the book. So it's, it doesn't come out officially until February 7th, which is about a week away. Tell me about the pre-orders there. Yeah, so folks can go over to walletwin.com slash book, and right there on the page, there's a couple different bonuses that they can unlock if they pre-order the book. I think the easiest place to pre-order is probably Amazon. Uh, the book might even get shipped to you a day or two early if you do the pre-order over there. Uh, but we have a few bonuses that are kind of designed to be companions to the book. So there's a video course on how to actually go through the book and... Um, how to actually 
not only read it, but implement it into your own life to get results. Uh, then we have another um, kind of talk about why the world can't afford for you to be bad with money, why you need to be good with this. And then my personal favorite is a bonus where we are going to go live for everybody who pre-ordered, and we're going to talk about and share our own strategies on how to get paid to go on vacation. Oh. <laughs> that one, it is not, it, it might sound too good to be true, but it is not. And we're <laughs> going to break that down. You guys also have a podcast. Can, where can we find that after this episode is done? Yep. Well, the book is at walletwin.com slash book, and the podcast is at walletwin.com slash podcast. You can also search Wallet Win, all one word, in any podcast app of your choosing. So last question before I let you guys go for the night. So I'm switching it up. Usually I only interview women. So Jonathan, you're guy number two who's ever been on the show. Uh, but usually the question that I use to close out the interviews is asking women how they live out the feminine genius. This phrase that John Paul II used to describe the beauty of women that is unique, but it's also complementary to the masculine genius. So to wrap us up, Jonathan, could you tell me what one way that you see Amanda's feminine genius in your marriage? And then Amanda, the flip side of that, a way that you see Jonathan's masculine genius in you guys' relationship. Okay. Oh, yeah. Here okay. we go. I would say I see Amanda living the feminine genius, if I'm being honest, in most, if not all, the good things that happen in our life. <laughs> Which is to say, she makes sure that our home is a welcoming place. One, for us, that we want to be here, that it is... Uh, well you know laid out we've got the right things in the right places so that we can enjoy time together as a family and that we're able to invite other people into that uh, to make sure that we have our annual saint joseph's day party and our all saints day party and that we are making it a regular occurrence even if we're busy to invite other folks over into our home and to hang out and get to know them and just to build that person-to-person -person connection. It's easy for me to just kind of get on the, the, the runaway and just, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, uh, and I, we're going to check this off and do this thing, and I have this project and this going on. And to see uh, the house as a house with projects and things instead of a home with people in it and a family. And I think Amanda does a really good job at that. And uh, Thanks. it makes our home a very warm place. Appreciate that. What I would say about Jonathan and living the masculine genius is just that he makes stuff happen. And what I mean by that, I mean, we've been in a number of pinches or challenges or, you know, backed into a corner so many different ways over the last decade. And I don't know how we're going to figure this out. But I, but somehow with God's grace and with Jonathan pulling off some harebrained scheme, he somehow provides exactly what our family needs at the exact right time in the exact right way. So back when we were engaged, he won us a free wedding, you know, from that, that's a whole nother podcast story. <laughs> To, you know, you know, we've, whenever, you know, we've had financial pinches, you know, after we've uh, adopted and we've kind of wiped out all liquid money we had and Jonathan had to get creative and find a way to replenish all the savings in a short amount of time. He just does it. He just figures it out. And so I know 
with everything that I am, that I can go to him with a very serious need and I can tell him I need him to meet it. And I know he's going to do it every time. That's so good. You guys, your joy around a subject that is so such a tension point for so many couples, the witness that you guys have of joy and peace and how you have this mission to bring others to that same experience with their finances to, to free them up to live generously is such a beautiful witness. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun and I cannot wait for listeners to dive deeper into you guys' book. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Chloe. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Letters to Women podcast. Check out the show notes for my conversation with the Texeras over at letterstowomenpodcast.com or you can scroll down in your podcast player to browse links like where to buy the Texeras new book and how to get access to all of those pre-order bonuses. And I don't know about you guys, but I am here for their live video about getting those vacations covered. You're also going to find a link to the little Catholic box so you can check out their single boxes and then make sure to use that link for letters to women listeners so that you get bonuses each month. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you know a woman who would love listening to this conversation with the Texeras, could you send it her way? Maybe you have a friend who has shared some struggles that they're going through financially. Maybe it's your sister or your best friend from college. I would be honored if you would share this conversation with them. If the conversations that you hear on the Letters to Women podcast are something that you recommend to a friend on the regular and you happen to be an Apple podcast listener or Spotify now, which has recently uh, opened up ratings for podcasts, please consider rating and reviewing the show. Your comments help me shape future shows, but they also tell other women who are maybe browsing around and looking for a new podcast to listen to what they can expect. That is all I have for today's episode. I'm really excited to keep this conversation about relationships rolling with the next episode, which is all about planning weddings and preparing for marriages. And it's with two of my favorite editors who have helped me bring two of my books to life. And I cannot wait for you to meet them and to get to introduce them to you. So until next time, be not afraid.